in my church, I'm going through, the, we started the book of Jonah this year, and uh, so I wanted to, uh, you know, also, uh, I guess, share my last couple of times that I'll be here uh, on Jonah and, uh, you know, study the book of Jonah together um, as we start the new year. And I wanted to start it with a question. Have you ever had a situation in life that it definitely seemed that it came from God, but to you it didn't make any sense at all? Have you ever been part of a situation in life where you could sense that this is from the Lord, but no matter how much you try to like make sense out of it, uh, to you it just doesn't make any sense. Like there's no way you can understand why God would do this in your life. Uh, when I, and I shared this with permission from my wife, <laughs> but when I was in a, many, many years ago at a different church, I was a single pastor at the time. And I was a pastor of an English ministry of a Korean church. And in that ministry, it was a small ministry, and uh, there was just a few people, but there was a, one of the sisters in that ministry, um, she was one of the popular, you know, sisters in the church because, you know, she was, I guess, pretty and, you know, she was godly at, from the surface. You know, she seemed godly, I guess. Can't really know until you really get to know them, right? And then, um, and she was one of the popular girls at the church, and, but she wasn't, like, too far apart from me in years because I, I was a young pastor at the time. And for whatever reason, I don't understand why, she liked me. I guess I should say I understand why. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Just kidding. But, uh, you know, she, she liked me, and then I'm sure that she asked me out. Because this is many years ago, but I'm sure she's the one that asked me out because even though I was a single pastor, I would have never asked out a member of the church. That was just against my you know, my convictions, my whatever, you know, you just don't do that, uh, you know, at least for me, I, I felt like, you know, that's, that's not the right thing for me to do, so that's why I know she asked me out, because I would have never done it, <laughs> and then, uh, so she asked me out, and she, you know, told me that she had feelings for me, and, and, you know, she was pretty and godly, and I, I was single, and she asked, not me, so I gave her a chance. And then uh, I said, okay, let's, let's, let's see where this goes. And we kind of started like dating. And uh, after just a few months of dating, I knew for sure she's the one. <laughs> I knew without the hint of a doubt that all those 30 years of prayer was being answered through her. <laughs> this is the girl that God brought into my life. She was godly, at least it seemed. And then she was pretty, and you know, I was already emotionally attached to her, and uh, I knew that she was the one. So we decided that we're gonna pursue marriage, uh, only after a few months of dating. But when we started to like pursue marriage, except for, you know, me and her, everybody else around us opposed the idea of marriage. My parents didn't like her. Her parents hated me. You know, the church pastors didn't like the idea. Nobody really was for us, you know, like starting a, a journey to get together as a husband and a wife. But we didn't care. 
we're going to prove everybody else wrong, that you know, everybody is wrong and we're right. So we're just going to push for you know, marriage. And uh, we didn't care about whatever people thought and said. So we went ahead with the plans of pursuing marriage. But the more we tried, the stronger the opposition became, the harder it got. And, uh, but we kept on you know, just fighting through until one day we both knew somehow that even God was not really allowing this to go forward. But even then, this is how powerful emotions can be. Even though we both sensed that maybe really this is not from the Lord, we didn't care. Even God couldn't stop us. <laughs> we were going to do it no matter what. And then, uh, but you know, so we kept on trying. And at some point, you know, we couldn't break apart from each other. So God had to do it for us. He broke their relationship and we never saw each other again after that. To me, it didn't make any sense at that time. She was godly, she was uh, pretty, I was emotionally, we both liked each other, we both, both wanted to get married. It seemed like it was from God after 30 years of waiting. Why are we not able to get married? It just didn't make any sense to me at that time. I couldn't understand why God wouldn't allow it. So today, we're going to see how we should make sense of the situations in life that God allows into our lives that don't seem to make any sense at all to us. How are we to understand those situations in life? So if you have your books, your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> this is the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2-3. In Jonah, uh, 1 to 3, Chapter 1, this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Jonah was a prophet of God, and uh, he was prophesying in the times of King Jeroboam II. Uh, he was a king of northern Israel at the time. He was an evil king uh, that did evil in the eyes of the Lord. However, Jonah had prophesied that under that king, God was going to expand and prosper Israel. So despite the fact that he was an evil king, uh, things happened according to how Jonah, Jonah prophesied. Because of the mercy of God, God continued to expand and prosper Israel despite they were under an evil king. And uh, Jonah, you know, he knew that Jeroboam was an evil king because his contemporaries, uh, other prophets like Amos and Hosea, they were actually prophesying against the king. They knew how evil he was, and unlike Jonah, who was in favor of the king, knowing how evil he was, these prophets that were standing up, risking their lives, and prophesying against the king, and letting him know that what he was doing was evil. But not Jonah. Jonah actually was prophesying prosperity, and times of peace, and rest, expansion, success. 
And uh, he was happy, even though he knew that Jeroboam was an evil king, he was happy to serve under him as long as Israel, his beloved nation, continued to expand and prosper. He was very patriotic, nationalistic. He only cared about his people. And if his people and if his nation was prospering, he didn't care about anything else. So Jonah was living and he was having, uh, you know, good times. He was getting, he was allowed to preach uh, a positive message for his people, despite the fact that they were being ruled under an evil king and things were happening according to his prophecy. Israel was experiencing times of prosperity and, you know, they were continuing to expand and they had peace and rest. So times were good for Jonah until until God gave him a different task. As a prophet, God showed up to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is normally how the prophets would receive revelation from God. God would come and speak directly to them and give them a message to share with everybody else. This time, the second time that God showed up to Jonah, the message was not as pleasant as the first one he got. It wasn't about prospering and succeeding, but this time God showed up to Jonah and said, I want you to go to the Ninevites and tell them that they're doomed. (laughs) Go to the Ninevites and tell them I'm going to destroy them because of their evil. Uh, Not a, you know... Not something that you want to do, right? Not something that you want, you know, not, not something that you want as a calling for your life to go and tell, and this is the reason why the Ninevites, I'm gonna, the Ninevites were wicked, evil, violent people, hated by everybody in the ancient world. They were the worst enemies for Israel. They had been, uh, you know, just constantly trying to go to war and conquer Israel for the past century. They had been, the Israelites, including Jonah, had been suffering under the pressure of the Ninevites, which was the the, the capital city for Assyria. The Assyrians was the major world power of the time, and they were giving everybody, including Israel, a very, very difficult time. And uh, the last thing Jonah wanted was to go to the Ninevites because they were their worst enemy and they were the most wicked people that you can find on the earth at that time. And let me just give you a little bit of a description of of how wicked they were. This comes from the book of the prodigal prophet, called the prodigal prophet uh, about the Ninevites. This is what it says about the Ninevites. Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian history is as gory and blood-curling a history as we know. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so they could be flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. They burned young people alive. Those who survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians had been called a terrorist state. Yet it was this nation that was the object of God's missionary outreach. 
So you can imagine how Jonah's world changed overnight. He went from times of prosperity and peace, my nation is prospering, I get to preach that they're going to prosper, to now God is saying, go to the Ninevites, these wicked and violent people, and tell them I'm going to destroy them. It didn't make any sense from a lot of levels. First of all, this is the first time God was asking a Hebrew prophet to go outside and prophesy outside of his people. Usually the prophets were only sent to the Israelites themselves, to their own people. They never went to the nations. So this is the first time God is sending one of his prophets, not to prophesy to his people, but to go outside of his nation to prophesy to Gentiles, to pagans. So that was strange. It was also strange that God would call, out of all these prophets, God would call the most patriotic one. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to actually be destroyed. Jonah only cared about his own race, only cared about his own people. He didn't care about the nations. And another prophet, Nahum, a few years ago, he had prophesied that Nineveh, God was going to destroy Nineveh, the Ninevites because of their evil and wickedness. This was a prophecy that was given by another prophet years ago. So, and Jonah was happy with that prophecy, and all the Israelites were happy with that prophecy. They thought that's exactly what they deserve. So, it, so for Jonah, it just didn't make any sense. No matter how much he tries to slice it, God's calling didn't make any sense to him. It didn't make sense practically because what if he does go? He goes and, you know, there's zero chance of success. Why would wicked people listen to him? And if he goes, he's for sure going to get killed. This is a suicide mission. He's not going to come back alive. They're going to cut his body into pieces and they're going to parade with his body just like they did with their other enemies, the Assyrians. There was zero practical chance of success and 100% chance that he'll gonna, he's going to die if he goes. It didn't fit theologically. Nahum had just prophesied that God was going to destroy Nineveh, and that's what the Israelites and Jonah always believed, that God was going to destroy them, not perhaps give them a second chance, a warning so they can repent. It just didn't fit his theology. It didn't fit, you know, practically, it didn't fit his theology. It didn't fit his heart. Heart. He had no desire to see the Ninevites repent or get a second chance. He hated the Ninevites. He wanted them to, as a prophet of God, as a man of God, he hated the Ninevites. He wanted them to die. He had no heart to go to them and give them a warning with perhaps a chance for them to turn around from their sins and be shown mercy from God. So no matter how much you tried to slice it for, for Jonah, because he couldn't come up with a reason that, you know, made sense to him, he was faced with a choice. Now he had to choose. Am I going to obey God when nothing makes sense and go to the Ninevites? Or am I going to disobey and flee? He chose the latter. He chose to disobey. It says here that he, he left the presence of the Lord. That's simply saying, you know, if you, if you are in the presence of the Lord, it means that you're obeying him. If you are leaving the presence of the Lord, it means you're blatantly disobeying him, choosing 
to disobey the will of the Lord. And God tells him to go east, but he goes west. God tells him to go by land, but he chooses to go by sea. And he's just showing God, I'm done with you, God. I can't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. So I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go as far as I possibly can in the opposite direction. I'm no, not coming back. I'm, I'm buying a one-way ticket to Tarshish, and I'm going as far from me as I can from you and your calling, and I'm not ever coming back. I'm not going to be a prophet anymore. He chose to disobey God. He says here, he went down to Joppa, to go to Tarshish. That, that word go down has this meaning of, back then, it had this meaning of going down to die, going down to death. And the ESV Bible, it says it like this, this that the suggestion is that each step away from the presence of the Lord is one step closer to going down to death. So that's the path that Jonah was choosing. Get further away from the Lord, get closer to death. And, uh, and that's what uh, you know, Jonah decided to do. And just, uh, he, he found no, no way to make sense out of what God was calling him to do. So he chose to disobey. And sometimes, we as Christians, we also face dangers. This is a very dangerous mindset that sometimes we also as Christians get. If it doesn't make sense to me, we think it's the end of the world. There's no other way out of our problem, our situation. And if it doesn't make sense to us, we think it's the end. That kind of thinking, just like Jonah, it's very dangerous. It actually does lead to death. When, when we only base everything based on just what we can make sense out of, if that's all we do and we leave no room uh, for what God can do, then usually we also end up getting distant from God and walking towards a path of death, dead end. There's no way out of this. I'm dead. Like, there's no solution for my situation or not. And that's kind of what was happening with Jonah. And, uh, you know, today I, I, I wanted us to see from the book of Jonah that all of us as Christians... We all have a little bit of Jonah in us. All of us as Christians, we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. For us too, if it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't, if we can't make sense out of it, we can be very quick to disobey and rebel against God. If something doesn't make sense to us, we can be as quick as Jonah to disobey and rebel against God just because it doesn't fit, you know, my thinking, my theology, what I feel like because it's not what I want. We can be very quick to disobey and rebel against God. And uh, we might not, you know, run away to Tarshish physically, but to some of us, Years of disobedience have distanced us from God so far that we are perhaps already in Tarshish in our hearts. Years of disobedience have taken us so far away from God that we are very, very distant from God, uh, even though we're not physically fleeing there at the time. 
And just like Jonah, many times Christians, we are all into ourselves. Uh, just like Jonah, we care about what's comfortable, what we know. We care about our own people, our own church, our own race. We're inward looking, and we think God is with us when God's totally different from us. What he actually wants is the nations to be saved. What he actually wants is for us to go outside of ourselves, but just like Jonah, because that's so much easier to do and so much more comfortable, all of us go towards what's in it for me, what's better for me, my people, my race, what's more comfortable for me, rather than God's plan, God's mission, God's compassion, God's love for the nations. And we think we are doing the will of God when God's will is so different from ours. That's usually the two things that very quickly can kill any Christian in any church. Any church that only becomes inward-looking, and any church that no longer has a mission and a purpose that you know, involves the rest of the world, a church with no mission, a church that's only inward-looking, will very quickly decline and die. Um, and, and that's, you know, what, uh, what Jonah is showing us. And, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm trying to be careful not to say the wrong things. <laughs> but um, we can sometimes see, you know, that we're, we all have a little bit of Jonah in us and uh, that we all are. We all, we all have a little bit of racism in us. It's, it's no accident that, you know, especially today, our world is so divided, so racist. But that doesn't, it's not just the world outside. It, it's actually in the church, too. It was in Jonah. It's in us, too. Because, and, and, and I'm going to be very careful, and, I, and I'm going to say this later, but I think you are an exception. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, I'm preaching here today, but I think you are the exception. Uh, but we can see how we all, you know, have a little bit of pride when it comes to our race, perhaps a little bit of sense of superiority when it comes to our race, based on how our churches are like. There's a reason why, and there's some good reasons, of course, language and all, but there's a reason why there's churches that are only Korean, <laughs> churches that are only Chinese, churches that are monoethnic, only Mexican, you know, because that's, that's more comfortable, because we all like to, you know, just be with our own kind. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, because of the language, it makes sense to have a church that speaks the language, but, but, as a church, that's never, never a permanent solution. At best, it's temporary because it cannot reach the next generation if a church is only monoethnic, only focused in me and my race. It will never, never thrive, that kind of church. When I was an EM pastor at my previous church, 
I spent so many years, you know, like discipling and growing quality leaders that we started together in college, and you know, we loved each other. We and you know, they were like really growing in their faith and, and leadership, and we had, you know, like we had we had a really cool team, a core team that we finally we were able to disciple and grow in, in, in years. And then uh, as soon as they got married, they all left me. How dare they? <laughs> they all left me. And then some of them actually told me, Pastor David, like, I can't stay in the Korean church because I can't invite my friends here. <laughs> they said, it's too Korean. If they come here and they're the only non-Koreans or the only few non-Koreans, they feel so awkward. They'll never come back. But they, said, but, but they said, you know, I go to a Korean church, but outside of the church, my, all my friends are non-Koreans. Like, you know, I'm multi-ethnic outside of the church, but I go to an ethnic church. And then others would tell me, Pastor David, you know, when they were leaving me, they would tell me, I'm leaving you. And they said, it's I'm leaving you because I'm no longer a college student, they would say. They would say, but, you know, the ministry that I'm a part of is, is, is an English ministry, but if, if we're really honest, they will tell me it's, it's a glorified youth ministry. There's no opportunity for me to grow here as a leader, become an elder. There's no opportunity for me to try to lead my own church, they would say. And, you know, I'm treated as a kid wherever I go in this church, even though I'm 30 now. So they would leave for that because of that. So that's why I also left eventually. <laughs> The Korean church. I love the Korean church. I, I passionately love the Korean church, but I saw so many limitations. I lost all my people. The moment they would get married, they would all, all leave. Like, we couldn't go from college to, like, actually building an adult ministry. And it might have just been my church. But when I look around at so many Korean churches, and now I'm part of the Chinese church. I left the Korean church to go to the Chinese church. I look at the Chinese church. Chinese church, same thing. The Chinese ministry is okay, but their next generation, the English ministry, most English ministries are already dead, non-existent, or they're barely trying to survive because the kids have left. And where have they gone? Most of them have gone to large American churches where it's very multi-ethnic. They will go to Mariners, I mean in my area, Mariners, Saddleback. Mariners has 3,000 Koreans in that church. They had to actually, and these are Korean-speaking Koreans. I don't know why they went there. You know, they should have stayed in the Korean church. But uh, even they can stay in the Korean church. And then, uh, so they had to hire a Korean pastor to minister to Koreans. And most of the Asians, they would go to, if, if they couldn't fit in at a, at a like, something like a Mariners or, or a Saddleback, they would go to a multi-Asian American church where it was like multi-Asians, you know? It was just not just Koreans, but it was like Koreans, Chinese, Vietnamese, Japanese. They were all Asians, but they were like different Asians. <laughs> and then those were the churches that were growing. Now, uh, you know, I, I say your church is, is, is the exception because it is. <laughs> you know, you guys have like not only Koreans, but different ethnicities. And uh, you guys are actually doing church the way that it's biblical. 
Because there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that church should be mono-ethnic. It actually says that church should be multi-ethnic. You know, this, when, you, when a church starts to become multi-ethnic, it's a sign of growth, of sanctification. It's a sign of you saying, my, citizens, my citizenship ultimately is not Korean, is not Chinese, is not American, is not Mexican. My citizenship is, I'm a citizen of heaven. So you start, when you really start to grow and be sanctified, you, you stop it's not that you don't become Korean or Chinese. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's who you are. But that becomes less important, and your true citizenship becomes you are a Christian. Where not everybody's a brother, everybody's a sister. And you choose to come together with people that are different from you, people that are from different cultures, where it's more uncomfortable, but they will stretch you, they will grow you, they will help you grow spiritually, and it will look more like what God's heart is like to the nations, to the nations. Jonah was me, my people, and my race. God was saying, no, Jonah, I want you to go to the nations. I care about the nations. I love the nations. I want you to preach to the nations, not just your own people. And this is just my opinion, which is worth nothing. I think moving forward, the churches that will last, the churches that will keep going, are the churches that really go multi-ethnic. Because just look, if you have children, just look at your children. They don't just hang out with Koreans. They don't just hang out with, uh, you know, Chinese. If you go to their school, their friends are, I, I have nephews and nieces that go to elementary. They have, you know, white. They have Mexican. They have Chinese. They're like, that's normal. <laughs> that's normal. That's family. So when they actually come just to a Korean church, it's weird. Like, why, are we all, why do we all look alike? Why are we all Koreans? You know, it's, it's, that's the new normal where it's diversity, it's multi-ethnic. It's not just one ethnicity anymore. My, in my own family, you know, my, my, my youngest, uh, the youngest in our family, my brother-in-law, my, 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 um, my sister's, my, my sister's, my wife's brother, the youngest out of all of us, uh, he married a non-Korean, which was so cool. <laughs> He's so biblical. <laughs> and uh, he married a lady from Hong Kong. And what a joy it's been to have her as a sister-in-law. Oh, she's better than all the other Koreans combined in our family. <laughs> My mother-in-law said that. You know, she's better than her daughters. <laughs> uh, but that's the world we're living in. That's the new culture that we are part of. That's not only the new culture and the new world, that's what's biblical. That's what God's heart goes after, the nations. Not just our own kind, not just our own race. And if we can't break you know, off from that, then we probably won't last too long as churches. Just my opinion. It might not be worth much. Jonah uh, a sign of disobedience when Jonah chose to disobey God what he was also choosing to say was that he couldn't trust God 
A sign of disobedience is always a sign that we don't really have a deep relationship with God where we can trust Him, even if it doesn't make sense to us. It's, a, it's something that tells us inside we're not as spiritual as we thought we were. We're not in love with God as much as we thought we were. Superficially, we were the prophet. We were the servant of God. But internally, we were distant from God. There was no love for God. There was no trust for God. That's why we disobey. When it doesn't fit our own thinking, our own beliefs, and what we think is right. God, you are wrong. I am right. I cannot trust you with my life or my well-being. And, uh, you know, Tim Keller said something cool. This is what he said. Jonah concluded that because he could not see any good reasons for God's command, there couldn't be any. Jonah doubted the goodness, the wisdom, and justice of God. We have all had that experience. We sit in the doctor's office stunned by the biopsy report. We despair of ever finding decent employment after the last lead has dried up. We wonder why the seemingly perfect romantic relationship, the one that we always wanted and never thought was possible, has crashed and burned. If there is a God, we think he doesn't know what he's doing. When this happens, we have to decide, does God know what's best or do we? And the default mode of the unaided human heart is to always decide that we do. We doubt that God is good or that he's committed to our happiness, and therefore, if we can't see any good reasons for something God says or does, we assume that there aren't any. So we disobey and we flee. So, to answer our initial question and bring the sermon to an end, how should we make sense of the situations that God allows into our lives that don't seem to make any sense at all. How should we understand, make sense of the situations that God brings our way that don't seem to make any sense to us whatsoever? This is what we should do. If you ever face a situation like that, personally or as, as a church, like you don't understand what God is doing, it doesn't make sense, it shouldn't be happening, it goes ev against everything I believe and think. If you are there, how should you respond? This is how you should respond. You should accept it as the will of God. You should accept it as the will of God. The more different things are from what you think, the higher the chances it's from God. <laughs> the more it falls in line with what you think, the less the chances are it's from God. It's most likely from you. God's way are higher than ours. He's different from us. So the more the more the different, the more it doesn't make sense to you, the higher the chances. That is God's will. That is the will of God. <laughs> the more different it is, the more scary, the more risky, the more it doesn't make sense to you, the more it goes outside of your comfort zone, the more you say, this doesn't make any sense, it's impossible, it's dumb, it's risky. The more you think that way, the more it is. What else do you expect? <laughs> if it's from God, it's got to be different from you. <laughs> so the more different it is, the, more, the harder it is for you to accept, the more you want to say no, that's when you have to say yes. Because that is the will of God. Sometimes the will of God is not found through Hours of prayer and reasoning and talking and meeting. Those things are necessary. But sometimes, do you know how you can clearly know the will of God? 
if there's, if there's something that you hate, if there's something that you don't want to do, if there's something like, no way, I'm not going in this direction, if you ever feel that way, you don't have to spend countless hours praying to find out the will of God. That's how you find out the will of God. What do you hate? What doesn't fit your thinking? What doesn't fit your heart? What doesn't fit your theology? If, if you find something like that, you found the will of God. I just spared you countless hours of prayer. I mean, pray, of course. But that's sometimes how you know this is from God. The more different it is from what you think and who you are, the more you can't accept whatever God brings into your life, the more you can know with assurance this is the will of God. So, I mean, you know, just, just to give you one example, look at Mary, right? Mary, uh, we just celebrated Christmas not too long ago. But remember Mary, the teenage girl who nobody knew about because nobody knew where Nazareth was. She was virtually invisible and, and nobody cared. She didn't, people didn't even know she existed because they didn't even know the place she lived existed. She was invisible. She was not important. She was a teenage girl, you know, simple teenage girl at 12 years old who was just hoping to marry Joseph. That was her plans. But what happened when God called her? What happened when God came into her life? He disrupted everything. Her dreams died. Her, her plans died. Whatever she thought was right died. Whatever she thought she was going to do with her life died. Everything changed. Everything was so different from what she had expected and thought. And everything was disrupted and changed. And this was the will of God. This is how we know it's the will of God. Because when God starts to move in our churches and our families... He disrupts everything. He's not a mere addition to my wishes and desires. He's not just a mere lifestyle change. He's God. When it's him, he changes everything. He disrupts everything. He totally takes over. He's on the driver's seat. And you and I have to adapt to the new that he's doing. He's God. He's not going to ask for permission. He's not going to, you know, just be a mere addition. He's God, so everything changes. Everything is different from what we can fathom, think, or imagine. When it's ever like that, it's from God. That's when you know God is moving. God is working. The will of God. God is at work in your life. And you know how Mary responded? Very different from Jonah. Very different from Jonah. Mary only had one question. She said, but I'm, I'm a virgin. And then the angel said, be quiet. God's going to do it. That was her only question. And when the angel said, nothing is impossible with God, then Mary said, a teenage girl, but a real godly girl. You know what Mary said? When nothing made sense to her, when all her plans changed, when her life was completely disrupted, you know what Mary said? She said, I am your bond servant. Do as you wish with me. I will follow your This is what you and I have to do. Don't run away like Jonah when things don't make sense. When things don't make sense to you, don't run away like Jonah, but run straight into the Lord. Whenever you want to say no, be like Mary. When everything inside of you is telling you say no, be like Mary. Because it doesn't make sense to you, be like Mary and say, yes, I will follow. And you will find out the will of God in your life. You know, me not marrying that girl, I hope this, I hope she never hears this sermon. 
but I'm not mentioning her name, so nobody knows, except for the people back then. So ho hopefully they never hear the sermon either. At the time, it didn't make sense to me why God would not let me marry her. Today, it does. Not too long after we were completely separated, her mom came to the church. If I remember correctly, it's been years, so. Her mom came to the church where, where I was serving at, and uh, she asked to talk with me. And she said, you know, I didn't let you marry my daughter, not because of my daughter, but because of you. See, I was protecting you, not my daughter. She started sharing with me things about her daughter that I had no idea about, that I didn't know. Things that I can't share with you, but that I know without the hint of a doubt that if we would have married, we would have been divorced in the first year or the second year if we lasted long. She said, she specifically said this to me, I was protecting you, I was keeping you from, you know, she said, I, I didn't want you to marry my daughter because I, want you, I wanted you to be a pastor for a long time. I wanted you to follow your calling for a long time. If you marry my daughter, you would not be able to continue to be a pastor. Not only the divorce, but so many things would keep you from doing what God has called you to do. And she said, she explained to me, this is why I opposed so strongly you marrying my daughter. I was protecting you, she said. And it made sense. It made sense. After a few years, now that I think about it, now that my head is cleared up, it makes sense. <laughs> and, you know, I married my wife, so much better. <clears throat> now, let's end with this. It didn't make any sense for Jesus to give up the riches of heaven. It didn't make any sense to put limitations on himself being God by taking on humanity. It didn't make any sense to die a death for something he didn't do for those who didn't even appreciate it and were the ones actually nailing him to that cross. None of it made any sense, but it was the will of the Father for his Son. Jesus, who wanted to run, didn't run from the will of God. He went straight to the cross and he stayed on that cross because Jesus obeyed the will of the Father. It is because Jesus obeyed the will of the Father that you and I, who were doomed like the Ninevites, will now spend the rest of our lives here and the rest of eternity in fellowship with Jesus. This was the will of the Father. The will of the Father that made no sense whatsoever was to save you and to save me. Let this sink in. And you too, no matter how much it doesn't make any sense to you, you too will be able to obey the will of God when it doesn't make any sense to you at all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask, Lord, that as we start the new year, that you would bless this church. Thank you, Lord, for sending Pastor Reuben as a new shepherd, let there, let there, if, if there's anything that doesn't make sense right now, Lord, let all of us accept it as the will of God. Rejoice that you are doing something new, that you are moving and accept it as the will of God and follow your lead. And, and I pray, Lord, that you would bless this church beyond their wildest dreams and do much more that they can ever think or imagine. Continue to be with them and bless them and provide for all of their needs. And in Jesus' name we pray.